Welcome, everyone, to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so respected that he never has to wait for a table at Nobu. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Bless me, Matt, for I have sinned. Daredevil episode 101, entitled Into the Ring, is brought to us by the Brooklyn Bolts Baseball Club. Tickets still available for this season. It's electrifying. Uh, it's a home run with a sponsor like that. Welcome, everybody. Finally, we are getting into uh, episodes of Daredevil after anticipating the series for so long. We're about to jump right in. Just want to mention, if this is your first time with a Fantastic Geek joint, uh, we'll be doing this particular podcast, the Daredevil podcast, in uh, in in quick form. We're going to be doing the first three episodes the weekend, this weekend, that the series has launched, and then uh, two a week starting next weekend on uh, Fridays and Mondays, that uh, in conjunction with our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a whole bunch of other goodies going on at Fantastic Geek. But Pete, the time has come. Let's officially jump in to episode 101 here. One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Our teaser act begins with a man confused walking down a street. There are horns. We see a child lying on the ground. We instantly wonder, like the adult there, what happened There are cars crashed, there's barrels leaking a clear liquid, and a man explains that your boy pushed me out of the way. He saved my life. The child on the ground there, uh, clear uh, wounds on his eyes, explains that they burn. Uh, The barrels nearby are stamped with a label, the only thing readable there, hazardous material. Uh, child closes his eyes and we get an effect as he says five times, Matt, I can't see before it fades to black. Pete, we're clearly being thrown into the deep end here, not not in an overwhelming way, but you know, it's it's so clearly New York that they're in, you know, filming authentically in New York. Um, I like that we've kind of started in the middle of the beginning. You know, there's no lengthy backstory here in terms of you know, why those barrels, why that road? There is quick mention, of course, of uh, young Matt Murdock having pushed the old man out of the way of the truck. Um, no giant red barrels here marked, you know, marked with scary symbols. It's just a scene unfolding. It's an, it's an accident, uh, the likes of which, you know, you hear about every now and then. And um, just a wonderful, wonderful performance there out of the, uh, the actor playing Kid Matt. Uh, really, really buying the fact that he's freaking out over being unable to see. We pick up in a confessional, and uh, this is present day Matt Murdock, who is uh, explaining his sins here. It's been uh, it's been too long, Matt, since his last confession. He explains how his father used to come to confession. He was, of course, a boxer who lost more than he won a twenty four and thirty one record before any trails off there it uh it is such a burden that a pilot episode has to deal with exposition and introduction and all of that and here you see the pilot of this series handling it so so well so smart to get to 
blinded adult Matt as soon as possible, giving some background there on dad. The fact that he says Jesus while in the the confessional yes. certainly, I mean, that's telling you a little something about his the demons that he is struggling with. Because um, and uh, if this is not our mother's Marvel TV show, Matt. Um, that we would take the Lord's name in vain, that we would have two S words, because, you know, if you're listening for the first time, this is just not that kind of podcast. And, um, you know, one of the most gorgeous women in Hollywood remove her shirt but not show us anything, all in the pilot episode. On top of the brutality that went on in this, uh, on top of movie-level storytelling, this is not your mother's Marvel TV. Certainly it's well suited for Netflix for that, that non broadcast model. As much as we do love the Marvel shows that have been on broadcast TV, this is a different platform. It's meant for a different audience and they're making the most of it. Uh, particularly as this scene unfolds, there's references to dad's eyes going dead in the ring. Um, uh, you know, he had the devil in him as the Murdoch boys do. And uh, we then get Pete, you know, actor Charlie Cox here. He's monologuing about dear old dad. And what do we have minutes into the series here? Him slowly starting to cry and uh, just, you know, we're we're immediately hitting that that, uh, pathos. And this is not so much, you know, him only explaining what happened with his father. He's explaining what happens with him. You know, the whole idea of, um, you know, his father's opponents hitting Oak, um, you know, that he was outmatched in the ring, that he just hit them till his hands broke down, but not out always on his feet. Um, and he, he'd get hit, uh, but he'd stay up and he'd, uh, he'd never stop. The Murdoch boys, they got the devil in them. But that, you know, like you said, the dead eyes, the slow walk, hands at our side, not afraid of anything. We're hitting all of the proper notes here. What I love about this pilot is that it is its own thing, but it is so honorable of the material, both in comic form and even, I thought, the notes from the 2003 movie. Well, I mean, we won't go back and rehash the, the 2003 movie in great detail. That is, uh, you know, it's on the website. It's on the, the podcast feed uh, for those so interested. But I could not help in this scene just think of it's it's kind of the slow boil here. It's not the they're not going for the broad strokes that the movie went for. And maybe that's just a result of the fact that they have 13 episodes to do it. But there's a there's a darkness and a power to this that are just so that that is just so um, omnipresent in its in its uh, presentation. Definitely, uh, explaining that the other guys tried to get away, that they would be in a corner, and then Matt, uh, old man Murdoch, would let the devil out. Certainly. Uh, I mean, foreshadowing clearly for the audience uh, and the fact that the scene is ending with uh, with a line that I think was out there enough in terms of the advertising. But uh, the fact that uh, Matt is asking for forgiveness, not for what he has done, but the things he's about to do. Clearly, this is super effective 
exposition, giving us some backstory before really spending a lot of time with the dad character on screen. Um, because as we get to the next scene, we have uh, we have the business of Daredevil to get to, um, and in decidedly not broadcast TV fashion. Down at the dock, there are storage containers. Um, a man we will later come to uh, know as Barrett uh, says that the two women that two other assailants are holding are worth $1,000 a head. If they are quiet, Matt, they get a bucket, not unlike uh, I had this morning through uh, my binge watching. If they are not, they get the cattle prod, and cattle prod it is. It is the ultimate way to present something so dark that you show it visually and show it through suggestion. I couldn't help but thinking of the shark and jaws. You know, it's what you don't see here, and just this note that you know these women are are, are being taken not for not for the awfulness of of some immediate you know lusting, but as part of some larger enterprise here that we'll learn about more as the episode continues um the fact that there's this plan to keep them in that storage container for an extended period of time which is suggestive of the bucket and all you know human waste and it's just it gets worse in your head as it happens um and i love the irony that there's a guy who i initially thought might have been he whose name we shall not use um but there's there's a there's a third character a third goon just sitting on a folding chair, watching them eating a sandwich. It plays for a slight humor, a slight lightning, but it also just says to these guys, what's going on is absolutely no big deal. As, as we watch, not in kind of abject horror, it's not, you know, the most awful thing you've ever seen, but this is certainly jarring suggestions are being made as to the fate of these girls. Yes. And, you know, when black suit daredevil shows up and the overtones that nobody cares down here, scream all you want. We hear Russian being spoken. And it's the first time that the, the theme throughout this episode, you know, on top of the many things it has to accomplish uh, to get the idea of daredevil's powers out there, but not in a hit you over the head way when you know, the heart beats, then I triangulate it and there's a vision. And no, we, we get the simple heart beating and we know he can hear this. We know what's going on. Um, the guy sitting in the folding chair there is a, is a great touch, you know. And then, Matt, we get a punch that breaks a guy's left leg. And again, that theme of this is not on ABC. It's it's a brutal fight and one that I think is uh, setting up action later in this episode, later in the series in terms of, you know, he has these skills, but it, eventually he's going to start to get worn down a bit. But you see up front he has these he has these uh, martial arts abilities. As you say, he has these superpowers, which the show goes out of its way to kind of not classify as such. Again, I return to the to the notion of of Jaws here. You don't need the explanation. That's what this show has figured out. You don't need the explanation of here is what the shark sees. No, it's the shark is there, therefore it's there. The yellow barrels appear, therefore there's a threat. We have Daredevil, eyes clearly covered. We know enough about the character from having watched this episode, let alone what you might know prior to it but he is able to do these things therefore he can they're showing us that he does it uh, and the, the exact mechanism doesn't need to be shown through 
you know, radar vision and that sort of thing. It just, it is, therefore it is. And I love that kind of boldness where we're not going to lead the audience along. He can do these things because he can do these things. And that's about the extent of it. Yes. And between, you know, a blind man, a man that we know to be blind, uh, you know, evading bullets and jumping up the container. And then how about the ricochet cattle prod shots once to Barrett, um, secondly to the guy in the chair right into the East River there? It's it's just it's a super solid fight. And it's, you know, it's it's shorthand to tell us what we could figure out regardless. But the story has to address it nonetheless. You know, this guy clad in in black, he's the good guy. Um, it's it's unequivocal, and he takes out four guys. And with that, we get taken to the title card sequence. Definitely, and I completely appreciated the way this was done. It was atmospheric. I love the monochromatic, you know, almost looked like um, red candle wax melting mat on top of the symbolism with the character and everything going on there really cool to look at and the symbolism of the objects were shown obviously the whole uh you know lady justice and the chemical water tower buildings bridges that old school cross you know kind of celtic in nature that you know has has been a staple of the daredevil comics the angel and then of course the devil it's a title card worth watching which is not always the case for for series in general it's not always the case for netflix series um but this is one i think you know there, there will be no attempt to fast forward through it during the course of these 13 episodes it just it it does a great job settling you into that world Act one begins with uh, an, a Siri-like voice repeating Foggy, which might as well be repeating the atmosphere as uh, <laughs> Matt Murdock is coming to. Uh, gets on the phone there, and Matt, we learn it is half past. Get the hell up. And <laughs> Foggy Nelson is immediately establishing himself as the breakout character of this show. Not to be a broken record on the topic of exposition, but something that this episode has to do in the first half is introduce all these people and make the relationships clear. Um, and they, it's so effortless how it is done in this scene. They clearly have a rapport. Um, even going with the blind jokes, which I think some people might have you know, said, oh, let's shy away from that. But the fact that they're able to joke suggests the closeness of these two. Um, and I love the bit here, Foggy concluding that he needs to go bribe a cop, which, I, you know, at the time, we don't know how serious he is. Then he says, not really NSA if you're listening, but yeah, I have to go bribe a cop. Um, wonderful sense of humor and uh, kind of just a wonderful placing of this in the modern day, in the modern mindset and that sort of thing. And the nods to what Murdoch's been up to, you know, Foggy assumes this is as a result of a girl, uh, which... Matt tells him, of course, was violent and Matt, uh, you know, hears from Foggy that he's got to try the blind thing and the subject of the real estate agent who's coming up and how homely she is <laughs> and the running joke that, you know, all right, Foggy's going to tell him all these beautiful girls aren't his type exactly. But just like you say, the the bribing of the cop here. Um, right. Right. 
Brett, a friend from Foggy's youth at the uh, the 50th Street C&E subway entrance here, bribed, of course, with cigars for his mother, uh, you know, uh, Bess. Great, um, just little details. And that's the thing that I'm really taking away from, uh, you know, the most of this series that I've seen thus far, Matt, is attention to detail more than we could really have ever hoped for. And, uh, you know, this is Stephen DeKnight at work. It absolutely is. And somebody who, you know, Stephen DeKnight behind uh, Spartacus, the first thing I ever podcasted way back in the day. But uh, we don't want to linger on the smallest of details here in Daredevil. But I think it's such a it's such a wonderful example of, of the level of writing for this series. You know, the cigar, you know, the cigars for Brett's mom. And it's a joke that in a couple of scenes they continue with. I mean, apparently that really is the case. I thought it was you know, for his mom, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Just that little character building moment between the two for the sake of being rich. I don't know if Brett is an ongoing character. I don't know if there's going to be any sort of payoff. It's just there to be kind of authentic. Lesser writers would have said, you know what, just have Foggy slip him a 20. And the guy goes, all right, dude, I'll send you a, I'll send you a case if one comes along. It, it they're, they're going a richer route here. And, and it's, it's something that's going to carry on through the series. I have no doubt. Definitely. Uh, once we have finally caught up with the real estate agent here, of course, she is uh, smoking hot and blonde. And again, with the blind jokes, you know, he can have the view, Matt says, of the subject of the office space. Um and we have to deal with, all right, this is a blind attorney, everything there. And before we know it, Susan Harris, Midtown Property Solutions agent, is under the spell of Matt Murdock. There was one too many, oh, she doesn't know he's blind kind of jokes there. Both, you know, the faux pas of her initial uh, statement and going to shake his hand. Um a minor quibble because he turns lemons into lemonade. He has to hold on to her arm as she walks him around the space. Um, and just the the briefest of mentions, Pete, why is it so inexpensive for these two guys who we will learn in a little bit are as, as new to the law game as you could possibly be? Uh, it's inexpensive because of the incident. The briefest of suggestions here as to what happened in New York last year, which of course Pete is... That would be the Chitauri invasion that happened in the first Avengers movie, which, Matt, I got to be honest, I thought they were giving us in the very first scene of this episode when it was not apparent that the man walking down the street was uh, Matt Murdock's father. It seemed like it was the current time. And we had heard all along how connected this show was going to be with the rest of the Marvel Universe. And I really like to think that they were playing with that. I love here that the show is essentially planting a flag um, to say we have some shows that are so tied into the movies and those shows are successful um, and those shows are, are beloved. But that's not this show. The briefest mention where if you've just wandered across this show on Netflix, 
there's not kind of the feeling of the the, the need for the prerequisite of the movies. Um, whether this is a direct response to some of you know Agents of Shield doing that too much in its early episodes, I don't know. But I just love that they're saying essentially there there are those big problems out there. What's our problem today? Does the rent work for you? And can we close on a deal for this? And it really is bringing the smallness of Hell's Kitchen and these street level heroes that we are we are starting off with this episode. It's bringing it very local and very personable. And it also establishes what's going on in Hell's Kitchen, that uh, property has fallen down, but because of the reconstruction, and it's all about following the money, Matt, all of the money flowing into New York City, specifically this area, okay, uh, prices are a quarter what they used to be, but Hell's Kitchen is on the rebound. In 18 months, they won't be able to afford afford i should say a broom closet so you know we're we're heading up and we know just because of the fringes here that it's not necessarily because of good reasons this is not patriotism throwing on a construction hat and uh, rebuilding the city per se and speaking of those prices going up there's a little bit of uh wonderfully timed exposition Matt wants to be lawyers only to defend the uh, the innocent, and Foggy's ready for more than just the squeaky clean, as long as that check clears. Um, and uh, with that, you know, we see this staff of two. Gee whiz, Pete, if only they could come across, say, their first client. We have a uh, bloody knife. We have a man laying in front of a woman, and she is breathing heavily, and the cops kick in a door. Of course, she protests as she's cuffed. She didn't do this. And all of a sudden, uh, Foggy's bribe pays off. Yes, we see Nelson and Murdoch uh, getting her uncuffed. Um, Of course, a a curious little story moment there that the police came so quickly, apparently. Um, Something that I think will, will, you know, is suggestive of where we're headed with Karen's plight. Um, And... We see there such a wonderful performance early on, um, just seeing the pathos in Karen Page there, uh, really kind of settling into this idea that she has she has no idea what's going on. We'll learn she has more of an idea than she's willing to share uh, in a little bit. But um, we just have Foggy recounting to her. She was found with a knife. Um, she's questioning how they got there. Uh, another little story seed. She's jumpy because of the, the real goings on. Um, and with that, uh, Nelson and Murdoch have their first client. They do, you know, they get her to take, they get them to take the, uh, the cuffs off the 110 pound woman. Um, and once they're in the room alone there, the blind, uh, jokes continue. You know, she gave a vague shrug, uh, that Karen is outfitted in an NYPD shirt, uh, you know, is a, hint to the severity of the crime obviously she was covered in this other man's blood found in her own apartment and we learned that the deceased one daniel fisher um you know we we get the idea that they had known one another karen is of course filled with questions who the hell are you guys who sent you the idea that good samaritans would come to her aid is not something that she's used to um and uh, they explain that uh, Foggy explains that they bribed the desk sergeant uh, 
and uh, we get the little banter back here, the in-joke about uh, stopping uh, with the cigars for best. But that seven hours ago, they passed the bar, and you are our first client. Although, for as much as they're willing to kind of reflect on this, yes, our first client for our law practice. The minute she says she doesn't have any money, Foggy is ready to bail, and uh, Matt has them. Matt has them stay, and uh, we're quickly headed towards the first kind of um, effect that the series is using to show uh, to show Matt's powers here, as she's talking about. How she didn't know um, Daniel Fisher that well. She worked for this construction company. Um, it's hard to meet people in the city, so she asked him for drinks. Uh, a story that ultimately is not exactly the way it was, but there's really just such sadness as she tells it. Um, but the focus of the scene quickly becomes Matt using his powers here. There's this reflection of her in his glasses, uh, a rather inspired visual motif, uh, I think, particularly given that we're going to have audio effects to kind of show show that he's listening um we get the blurring effect as he's kind of focusing on her ears and uh with that uh his powers in tow he believes her he believes that she's telling the truth about uh having not uh killed daniel fisher or at least not believing to have killed him yes and the backstory that they had worked together here at union allied construction that she was a secretary he of course daniel in the legal department um and we need to get that out of the way, not only in terms of the details, but in terms of how does he use his powers in his regular job, something that is a long uh, since used staple of the Daredevil character. But this Three Roads bar off of uh, 49th Street, this ultimately uh, resulted in the death of uh, Daniel Fisher. And then we're off to the next scene. We are. And it's it's a jarring uh, shift to the next scene, showing an older guy just eating while a guy in a suit sits with him. Uh, we've basically had a fairly linear presentation here of the story. The only jump so far was, you know, Karen waking up to, to the dead Daniel Fisher. But that quickly folded itself back into the Nelson and Murdoch story. So it's a bit kind of shocking here. Um to, to see these two new characters interacting uh, quickly, though it's it's shown that uh, the older guy owes money. Um, there's a there's a new employer who's taken over that debt, but they don't you know they're not concerned about thirty thousand uh, dollars. Instead, uh, the guy in the suit would like to show him a little something on his tablet computer. Yes, his Surface, Matt, and we're just scratching the surface. The sandwich thing, real quick. You know, and, and I've not gone back to compare the two characters, but I felt that a nod to the guy had been sitting in the chair at the uh, the storage containers. Was this guy one in the same? I think no. I would I would like to go back to be sure. I thought the guy at the storage container was uh, was perhaps a bit younger, but um, uh. I guess it's between between using Windows products and eating sandwiches. I guess <laughs> I guess the show clearly has a way to identify bad guys. Everybody's got to eat, Matt. Everybody's got to eat. That is true. Um, but the idea here, the the creepiness of our unnamed character to this point in the suit, uh, clearly working in the service of uh, he who shall not uh, even get the rest of his name past Mister. Th- 
um, about the Monetes, you know, what is it with college girls and Monetes? Is it the openness or the, do they just like blue? Is it the superficiality and, uh, that they call her and, uh, this is live to establish over the, um, the device there. And, uh, you know, the, the daughter answers, she's got some laundry to catch up on. Oh, I'll catch you after your shift. So we get some idea there's a law enforcement connection here. And, uh, then the guy there, of course, waves Mr. Rance on the bench. Yeah. The dad is named as uh, Farnham and, uh, he's told, you know, don't worry about the debt, but you have an important position, which, uh, I totally agree with you at this point. Mention of a shift, mention of a position. It's not clear where things are headed, um, although it's it's not too far away from finding finding out. But first, we return to uh, Nelson and Murdoch. Foggy is just ready to take take a deal if the DA could possibly offer one. It's clear she's guilty, covered in blood, no defensive uh, marks on her body. Um, Matt notes some other legalese. Um, she hasn't been charged. Uh, they're still within that famous 24 hour period that I'm assuming is a real thing, Pete, um, because it's referenced on every, you know, legal show. Um, but why not charge her yet? Something is, uh, something is fishy. And at this point, Pete, in case the, the banter, when we were first introduced to, to Foggy did not make it clear, there's a reference again made to Matt being a, a fan, shall we say, uh, of the fairer sex. Love the characterization here of Foggy as a uh, baseball fan. We had seen him unpacking the glove when they moved into their office. Now he's throwing a ball around. It's it's his way of decompressing and uh, processing the information. But it's the weekend, Matt. While it's a good arrest, they still sense something is not right. So they might have that little extra edge in terms of time. And Karen might have more time to cool her heels in the cell which certainly becomes an issue right after this yes we quickly learn that connection there although it's not clear as the scene begins but karen is attacked in her prison cell by a guard the guard is farnham um he's choking her with a sheet um and just wonderful unnecessary but beautiful nonetheless characterization here now that we know that farnham is acting you know, under duress, he apologizes for for trying to kill her um, as he's trying to choke the life out of her. Uh, she, of course, one tough chick reaches back, scratches him in the eye. Uh, certainly some symbolism there about seeing and blindness and whatnot. And just this horrific scream for help. And I appreciate that the series does not um, stoop down to the level of the the dumbest audience members to then have guards coming to check on her and then this and then that it's just we cut back to nelson murdoch ready for a win hours after this attack has occurred uh, you know reference quickly made to farnham in custody it's kind of you know after it because we saw her freeing herself and we don't need to see more we don't need to see those those bits in between this show trusts its audience it doesn't pull punches in the strictest sense, but it also helps us understand a rapid passage of time. And it doesn't need to get into, while there is detail, minutiae. That the assistant 
district attorney here is now under the gun given what has nearly happened to Karen. And Foggy, of course, makes the joke that he will not make cooing noises about the civil suit that he intends to file. And I think it is so wonderfully authentic. I mean, we like to think justice is blind, but regardless of, you know, what the DA believes her role was in this murder, um, which is not insignificant, the fact that they've bungled the 24-hour period of charging, the fact that, yes, this is now going to be a full-on media fiasco, um, the fact that these security uh, cameras weren't working, um, it's enough to be suggestive of at least malfeasance going on in terms of, you know, the, the jail, uh, the DA, et cetera. Um, and Nelson repeats, get my client released. Right. And, you know, Matt, we just want to remind you, this is not that type of podcast for you to use the MF word there, malfeasance, but, um, that they're past the requirement. Now they need to, uh, release her four hours ago. And, uh, Matt instantly comes back to the idea that, they had everything. Maybe they had too much. And that is when, you know, again, the service of this pilot to be selling so much to us, that's when you say, oh, wait, hold on. There there are these odd threads here. The police did get to her apartment awfully quickly. Um, and they're starting to put together the pieces here of, you know, they didn't need to, if they had evidence that would suggest somebody else was in the apartment well they didn't need to release that evidence until she was charged but she wasn't charged and had she been found dead in her cell presumably by suicide then all those loose threads are taken care of now that's not the case anymore and we're quickly starting to realize there's a there's a a larger story here to her story definitely um when we come back to the idea that she's going to lay out her case, um, you know, doesn't mean that she won't be charged yet. We still haven't cleared that hurdle, but that she can't go back to her apartment, that she's twice here been in danger. And um, she takes us through where she works, you know, everything going on in the financial department at Union Allied where uh, she was overseeing, the company was overseeing the bulk of the contracts for the West Side reconstruction. Um, you know, references made to how widespread the reconstruction is throughout the city. This has been going on. We get our timeline, Matt, two years post-Avengers. So if we're to believe in real time, Avengers taking place in 2012, May of 2012, that puts us... 2014, although I get the idea we might be closer to our current time, despite the fact that this 13-episode series occurs in between. Certainly. I mean, I think it's, uh, it is it is two years ago since the Avengers uh, incident had happened in New York. I believe I said a, a year earlier, and I, I certainly was misspeaking then. Um, you misremembered. It, I misremembered, indeed. Uh, strategery. Um, I Certainly my impression is for all this Marvel TV stuff, unless stated otherwise, a la flashback, um, it is taking place, you know, in in the present day uh, where this 13 episode release exists in, you know, in relation to the forthcoming Avengers movie. I suspect they've already addressed that indirectly by referring to the incident, the damage. They're not 
they're not saying, and we can't wait for when Avengers 2 happens. They're just saying right. stuff happens out there. We're in one neighborhood of one borough in one city in one country that was affected by this. Um, and, you know, we're, we're delving into this minutia here. There's the pension master email revealing numbers out of control. There's reference to the boss, Mr. McClintock, and there's enough references. So despite the fact that I don't think we ever see the character, we hear the name enough here yeah. to kind of where he's a character in our minds, even though he's not a character on the screen. Yes, and it's accidental that Karen has wound up embroiled in all of this. Some subtle, again, nods to Matt's disability in light of everything that's taken place. And just like everybody else, you know, he's involved in a situation living in New York City. We find out later he's he's got this corner apartment because of what's happened in the reconstruction. But that half of the world watched New York City get destroyed but not Matt Murdock. And it hits that sympathetic tone with what's going on with Karen explaining that this is not something she meant to get embroiled in told by the boss. Oh, that's a theoretical model, you know, blah, 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 blah. But she knew it was wrong. Just like everybody here, Matt on this show, Murdock, foggy, Karen, they know they've got their hands dirty. And speaking of they, throughout this scene, she's making enough references where you're you're hearing about the they, they, they. And it, it reaches a point where it just clicks in your mind. She's aware of some sort of, you know, this is more than, hey, we're just skimming off the top for this. There's something else out there that she kind of understands. There's one corner of that she bumped into, but it's big. There's, of course, you know, the, the Kingpin organization that we'll be uh, learning about more in this episode. And no doubt. Oh, I mean, I mean, the organization of. Oh, oh man. Um, Spoiler, Matt, from the end <laughs> of episode three. Uh Oh, um, with this, she wants to leave. And again, a wonderful little detail. She's unsure that they can trust them. You know, she says they could have been sent for uh, uh, Nelson and Murdoch could have been sent by the they not a direct quote. Um, but essentially that she's running out of options here. And that, of course, gee whiz, that means that Matt Murdock has to take her back to his apartment, that sly devil. Right, and that Karen has been drugged on a date before. The, the trust of men and other characters for her is immediately an obstacle. You know, she, she liked this Daniel Fisher. He had a family. He had a little boy, again, with the sympathetic notes. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know if, if uh, I can work with you guys is basically what Karen is telling them. You know, she doesn't feel safe. And when they get back to the apartment here, you know, it's it's dark and we hit the, the same ideas of, um, you know, Matt having this other side yet knowing where everything is. Oh, the light switch is, is right there, you know, um, Karen wants to change out of the uh, Brooklyn Bolts T-shirt that she's been given by uh, Foggy there because she's more of a Hellions fan, just like you, Matt. Absolutely. There's something else I'm a fan of in that scene, but I won't get into it because I'm a gentleman. Uh, what I did like was just this. Again, there's these wonderful details that Stephen tonight and his his writing staff have have introduced here. Uh, Drew Goddard, who I believe has credit for the script and, and left shortly after the, the beginning of the series uh, being put together. 
uh, as should be noted as well. But this idea of the digital billboard, kind of this sign of progress, question mark, you know, gentrification um, and all of that technology. But now it's ruined in an apartment. Um, it also explains why, just from a basic story point of view, this poor new lawyer uh, who clearly is part of a, a of a firm that has financial troubles is still able to have a space where the story can take place. You know, important for st- storytelling for him to have this this spot. So it's just kind of this win 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 moment of he didn't care, he got it on the cheap, and it also adds to this great lighting while they're in there. Um, of course, he wouldn't have blinds, um, but it just adds to these weird whites and purples uh illuminating the scene and um it's just it's a fantastic addition the billboard of course matt advertising jingjing airways which we'll look at a little later on but it's like you said you know we we establish the idea of how a lawyer of matt's modest means can wind up um you know with this apartment and then we get personal in terms of Karen's questions. Have you always been blind? How do you comb your hair? You know, and it's like everything in this episode, Matt states the definitive theme. You just hope for the best. There is no planning going on here, but he gives the spoken exposition about his car accident at the age of nine, that it was rough, but he made it through. Uh, he wasn't always blind that he remembers what it was like to see. And it's like you said, the glasses come off a little bit more than halfway through this episode and then we get the very robotic, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to say I miss it. It's what they tell you, teach you in trauma recovery. You define the self that uh, you value the differences and have no apologies. And uh, that's the fakest thing that Matt Murdock does in this episode. And and that's shown through the acting here. Just this wonderful little acting moment that half a smile as he uh, says he wishes to see the sky one more time um also for anybody who's seen the ben affleck movie thank goodness for the series it's not a case of let's slap contact lenses on the actor and make him whatever it's just apparently you know as near as i could tell in my you know nice tv with hd and all that um it's just the actor's normal eyes he's not making eye contact because hello he's blind but they're not overly selling he is blind look at those eyes it's just those are eyes that do not see he takes the sunglasses off in order to have a little bit more of a genuine moment um although pete i had to wonder how genuine was it has he told this sad story because then he can say thanks you know i answered your question karen now it's time for me to question you let's talk more about the pension theft why not kill you the first time so there's almost this um um slight selling himself or at least being in in anticipation of she's going to ask these questions so let her do that and let him go i wish i could see the sky now let's talk about if the plan was to frame you and that the lawyers appearing threw off the plan and conclusion you must have something that they want 
Yes, I mean, this is the soul of the episode, the irony that they're using the heartbeat here. And like you said before, it would have been easy to, you know, venture off into Anchorman 2, I'm blind situation. And, you know, he could serve her, uh, you know, checkers as appetizers here for (laughs) her visit with caulk toppings. But the whole idea that... He's going to tell the sad story. Okay, now you give me your sad story. And then our heartbeat increases. We know we're not getting the whole truth because he knows we're not getting the whole truth. That and she had nodded and he knew it before uh, she said yes about, um, you know, asking her the questions. So beautifully, beautifully written. Um, But the idea of discreditation coming up here is very important and uh that everything is not on the table as we might think but you know it's because karen thinks that she's not that smart when she is the smart tough cookie well speaking of uh discrediting we then move to a uh not quite rooftop scene but certainly an, an exterior scene in the building being constructed uh, it is the, the the debut of uh, Leland, played by Bob Gunton, somebody yep. who I'm sure is a lovely man in real life, but whose just steady string of awful characters leads to discredit from we, the audience, any hope that Bob Gunton might be playing a nice person. Um, and that is quickly revealed to be the case as he's um, uh, meeting with Russians and uh, a Chinese woman, Madame Gao, uh, as well as a uh, Japanese gentleman. A distinction between the two is uh, is made, but Pete, the big takeaway from this scene: whispers of the uh, whispers of the mysterious organization that seems to be behind it all. Yes, there is a mention that next time, because it's freezing up on this clandestine level in this under construction building by Allied, that um, the meeting will take place next time at Per Se which is uh, something that will be coming back up. But these Russian boys have not been uh, domesticated just yet. This cold weather, of course, Matt, we learn, would be just a balmy day in Samara. Um, perfect Chechnyan kidnap of preschooler weather, of course, Vladimir. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> Certainly, making clear that uh, that this is uh, you know these are bad people uh, doing bad things, having come together uh, from from you know various origins. Uh, then there's uh, reference to the Russians being short on the cargo totals, and it takes a little bit into this scene to realize, oh my goodness, the cargo that they're talking about is human trafficking, kidnapping women for nefarious purposes. And uh, why, Pete? Because they were attacked, new word for me, attacked by a mudok in a black mask. And you can look up what that means, but it's basically what you think it means. You Not Matt Murdock? <laughs> Ooh, wow. They, they were so close, yet so far away. <laughs> well, our Russians are off by the letter R. We learned that they don't like lap dogs, Matt. And this suited gentleman here operating in the name of Mr. We don't say his name. Uh, but woof, woof, uh, they want to know what's going to happen here that 
their cargo has uh, gone missing. And the new blood running here, this is what Mr. Leland <clears throat> has come to appreciate. With heroes and their consequences, this is why they're here. They have the opportunities that they do. And <clears throat> we get a name from one of the um, assailants in the scene at the cargo dock with uh, Barrett and that the load got away from the containers there. The man did not steal the, the shipment for himself, though, that he let the women go. And uh, Leland comes back to the idea that every time somebody punches somebody through a building, they benefit from it. Their margins go up 3%, while the suited gentleman falls on the side of an inconvenience and that people will ask questions and there'll be consequence despite the fact that Leland thinks they should be celebrating. This employer is displeased and they have a vigilante on their hands. And indeed that message being sent, sent down from on high, you know, deal with the problem, wrap it up quickly uh, because you know, as we'll learn, uh, as we'll learn in the future, his his reputation is starting to get out there. And, uh, you know, I think whoever's in charge, he who shall not be named, uh, you know, wants to avoid a problem before before it happens. We don't want a Prohaska situation here. And while the suited gentleman explains they are negotiating with Mr. Prohaska that, uh, you know, Anatoly, one of our Russians here, explains uh yeah let's let's sit down with this uh man in black let's break bread um it's just not that simple but we're told again and again and maybe all right one of the most cliche things that happens in this episode we're handling it we're handling it it's it's a nice scene in that it shows uh quickly perhaps through you know through the diversity of the actors that are that are there assembled but it shows that this is a coalition of different you know nefarious folks um and that there's also discord on how best to handle things um but but that they have been brought together under under some umbrella for for purposes that we don't fully understand uh, with that, we cut to Karen slipping out, um, which, of course, Matt hears. And the question on, on our minds is, where is she going? And Pete, there really is only one answer. There is. She heads back to the apartment, the scene of her supposed crime. You know, she sneaks in. We see the blood on the floor there. Um and it's only a matter of time until she reveals her hand. We know she's smarter than she lets on. She steps on the toilet there. She goes up into the vent. She retrieves a flash drive. And then before we know it, there's a guy out of the shadows. They struggle. The knife goes down. And there's our black uh, suited daredevil on the scene. Thank goodness she wasn't saving anything, you know, via the cloud. You know, thank goodness for MacGuffin's sake that there's actually a physical thing for her to go get that other people want. Um, but more importantly, with the arrival of uh, Daredevil there, it's kind of like ninja time. Uh, this guy, unlike the, the well, I won't call them gentlemen, unlike the, the toughs down at the docks at the top of the episode, um, this guy is clearly uh, at least close to Daredevil's equal. Um it just some really, you know, nice kind of martial arts moves there. Um, the choreography was great. There were some flips. 
uh, the brutality again that we've seen in the fight sequences in the early going of this show on Netflix has already established it as the best action choreography of all the Marvel series to date. Absolutely. And I mean, they then take it to the next level out the window. They go, they flip and bounce off construction scaffolding. Uh, the knife is thrown askew, but is Daredevil down for the count? Well, we cut to a flashback, Pete. So as the rain patters around Matt Murdock, uh, we see him asleep at a table in a flashback. Uh, get up, Maddie. It's time to finish up, which we're speaking both in the flashback and in the present. Um, you know, oh, I'm tired, Dad. Um, you know, and the father explains, don't end up like me. Don't end up like the old man. I never studied. And, uh, you know, we've got him going into the freezer to get ice to put on his horribly swollen face. Matt, uh, as a child in his glasses, feels his face. Blood drips on the table. Not so much meant to be taken in the past, but in the present as Matt Murdock is bleeding onto the street as well. And then we get the gotta get to work. And with that, we're back to, uh, back to, uh, adult Murdoch there, bloody mouth getting up that other iconic shot from much of the advertising. Um, and wouldn't you know what Pete, his opponent is back up to fight again as well. And if the fight wasn't brutal already, there's just something in this scene, probably, you know, aided by, sound design by the set mm -hmm. design by the the practical effects of the rain it's just so hard scrabble it feels so cold so wet so awful um i love too that you kind of he has the opponent is is swishing the knife this way and that um there's the implication that the show is not overselling the mac can hear the knife whistling and is able to be figuring out what's going on gone are the affectations from the afflect uh, it, the afflicted uh, movie where, you know, we would see how he sees that yes. the knife is going from one hand to the other. No, we can just see that he can react to it. Um, I, I, again, I just love that they're underselling kind of the science of his powers and just showing the effects of them. The sound design, as you hinted, Matt, is is the other great thing done um, particularly in this pilot, you know, between the metal steps and the uh, the metal chain, which eventually he ties uh, Rance up with and then just beats him savagely like the son of the boxer that he is. And he's left there hanging. Karen arrives to see all this. Uh, she, of course, um, you know, that's the suspended disbelief that we always have to make. Oh, I can't see your eyes. So you're not the man that I just left the apartment of. You're some other helpful dude. <laughs> what the, <clears throat> what the hell? If, if the other thing, you know, hit over the head with perhaps fairly in this episode with, you know, the idea of the devil and, and hell, everything like that. But, um, that they can't get this, uh, you know, they got to get this into the right hands. And um, if they can't, then they tell everybody, bam, Rance's body is thrown onto the steps of a newspaper with an editor 
um, envelope to his chest. He passes out and then we're treated to the New York Bulletin headline Union Allied Corruption Scandal. Hooray, the fourth estate the media has saved the day. But we always do, Matt. Absolutely. Except for this one time where the headline looks bad, but um, the character I took to calling Glasses is assuring the man on the phone, it's Vincent D'Onofrio, um, that it's all being taken care of through the usual channels. Yes, this is a bad headline, but they're bailing out the guard. There's going to be a pillow D for, for Mr. McClintock, the pension guy. Um, there's the question, should the girl be taken care of? And the, the mysterious man on the other end of the phone, uh, so wisely in, in terms of damage control says, no, uh, it's, it's not getting any worse than this headline. What's out there is out there. Everything that she knows has now been shared. Um, by the way, those lawyers, they appear to be clean. Let's start a file on them. Keep an eye on these guys. You never know what they might be useful for in the future. And our ambulance chasers, though they are set up that way, we know, of course, they're more than that. We get Karen in the office there serving them her grandmother's recipe, which Matt, of course, is filled with. Uh, I don't know. Virtue. It's filled with virtue. Oh, yes, like yes, yes. Our seemingly sullied characters here are reference made, of course, to the nut in the mask who they are not aware they're dining with. Um, but thank God everybody's listened to the truth here. At least Matt Murdoch does with his little internal lie detector. Um, how does Karen get out of this? Oh, they'll bill her when we, when we figure out to send bills, but of course she could help out with her virtue. She owes them. She can clean, but her, uh, her prior experience here with, uh, with electricity in the ceiling tiles, um, has Matt and Foggy convinced that though she will work free, they are going to hire her as their secretary and really gal Friday. And nice that this gets wrapped up in this episode, yet there are still so many connective threads moving forward. That that meal there and particularly punctuated by the camera dollying out at the end to show the paper sign on the door for Nelson Murdoch, attorneys at law. It hammered home something that I did not know to expect from the series, um, which is the idea that these three really are going to be a trio in, in so many ways. Um, and, and I like that they're setting it up as that, you know, as the three of them being able to, you know, bounce off each other as different combinations of pairs. Uh, I suspect Foggy would like to, bounce off her but that's that's <laughs> a story for the future i expect um but just this notion that they are going to be a trio of uh, of like-minded 20-somethings in new york city uh it's a nice note to end the episode with but that's not the end of the episode it's not we get the solemnity reserved really for church when matt goes to the fogwell's gym uh, sees the ring, puts down the cane, take the glasses off, goes into his gym bag, and suddenly he's pounding on a speed bag. And across this montage, we get uh, Leland transferring numbers at the computer. 
we get the daughter scene from before of uh, Officer Farnham home to do her laundry, who finds her father, who's already got a bandage over one eye, dead from an apparent suicide. Um, we see that in a cell, Rance is hanging. And then, Matt, maybe the most loaded images come. We see a drug operation. There are Chinese um, workers there that appear to be blind. They are stamping uh, symbols onto the drug bundles that they are making. And then we clearly see uh, Madame Gao from our uh, meeting before um, and people using uh, canes cementing the blindness. So we'll look at that a little bit uh, further into the podcast in terms of some theory. And then we have our Japanese man um, examining some blueprints. Barrett, of course, is seen at the back of a van cocking a gun. Um, and then our Russians run up to uh, a car, pound on the window, beat up a father, steal a child, and we're left with the enduring image from the episode of black-suited Daredevil on the roof, listening. You know, ideas from before, but advanced so much better this time around in this incarnation of the character done by Marvel Studios. And he hears people, he hears the daddy help, throws on the mask, fade to black. Objection, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, we have to start with that that first crime that we see. Uh, the guys uh, near the docks there abducting women for, you know, for awful purposes. Uh, just this notion of a real kind of you know rawness to crime that's out there. They're so callous when it when it comes to you know, either the conditions that these women will be kept in with the bucket, um, the 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 willingness to shock them, um, the fact that uh, guy eating sandwich is able to eat a sandwich that this isn't particularly turning his uh, rather prodigious stomach. It's uh, it's a heck of a way to say you know there are problems in in this world. There are problems in this New York. Definitely the street level heroes that will eventually become our defenders here need at first street level threats and that we wind up given one of these toughs, the, the leader of which a name and we see him again at the end of the episode given a gun that might have uh, some other powers, Matt. We know that, uh, you know, icers and things like this exist in this world from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the technology of the uh, invasion of Chitauri from the Avengers is certainly in play. But then with people that are corruptible, like uh, Officer Farnham, and, you know, a, a guy who functions in between of these people because of the nature of some of our bigger bads, our gentleman who's not yet been named in this episode, the suit wearing uh, glasses having guy. It, it really is a nice um, it's a nice transition from kind of, you know, the New York that we expect, at least on the surface to this uh 
to this kind of you know questionable crew of people slowly making our way into uh, you know the the dark side of the world of Daredevil, just as we're meeting our our heroes uh, as the episode unfolds. Definitely, and you know we can get the idea if you've seen the Daredevil movie. This is likely the Wesley character, you know, the uh, consigliere to um, the guy who is. Uh, the king of pins later on <laughs> we then see the the machinations of this uh this enterprise that we don't fully understand yet but it but it's been represented by presumed lieutenants madame gal the russians leland uh and and so forth um just a really really effective uh use of Selling this idea that there's this portion of the Big Apple, at least in the MCU, uh, which is increasingly rotten to the core, but most people don't know it. Um, and it's an interesting way to kind of, you know, uh, have their cake and eat it, too, uh, in terms of, you know, not kind of not being not having access to the the worst of uh, the worst of New York City, you know, that from the seventies and eighties that the comic series was dealing with, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that now gone, but we're still able to get this notion of there's a CD underbelly that is hell's kitchen. But amongst the bad guys named here, you know, we get the financial, um, you know, Mr. Leland. So we know he's going to come at you with his mind there we have Madame Gao and that we see the drug operation later on and clearly some connection with the human trafficking that's going on as well. There are multiple fingers in multiple pies. This is not just the reconstruction of Hell's Kitchen. They are playing a global game bent on dominating not just this area. And by the time we see Threats that are only voices later on uh, that things will really start to get real. Absolutely. And I think it is important to keep in mind that we are seeing kind of the, the tip of the spear here for a global operation. Yes, it feels extremely local to to the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood uh, of the city. But uh, where were those women headed? Where are these drugs coming from? Uh, it shows that uh, underneath the happy reconstruction here, uh, there's there's quite a quite a quite a lot that is afoot. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge, Matt. I present to you the substance that Matt Murdock was stricken with. We see it early on, a clear liquid from drums marked only hazardous material. What's up with that? I don't mean to dodge the question, but I think that the show would be so well served to not go down that route at all, in my opinion. Um, the actor playing young Matt is extremely capable. The 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 weight carried by his father Jack and that actor is is admirable. 
Uh, I feel that it takes away from the story to have some of these flashbacks. Now, it's been necessary in this episode. My hope would be, having having not seen anything past this episode, my hope would be that we don't have a lot of these flashback episodes left ahead of us. Um, because I don't think that we need to linger. I don't know that we get any bonus out of the story to say, aha, when a child is hit with just the right amount of this and not that, that, you know, it causes this fantastic reaction. We can just say it was a weird thing. It shouldn't have happened. And for some reason it had this effect and, and focus more on the story in, in the present. Um, so I'm okay with us not going down that, that road. We have the voice and we have everybody in this episode working in the service of a bigger bad that we know uh, will ultimately become, uh, you know, some regal figure who reigns over objects you see at the end of a bowling lane. But why does he have everybody under his thumb like this? And um, the buildup that's going on here, Matt, what, what's, what's going on there? I think the buildup is is so wise because if we're going to spend 13 hours dealing with a, an ongoing storyline here to introduce Big Bad out of the blue um, means I think that you're, you're you're handcuffing yourself for future story options if you see kind of him in his full might. Whereas if there's this sense that you know Doomsday is coming, Doomsday is coming, and you spend you know one or multiple episodes kind of you know foretelling of of this awful villain um the reveal and the potency will be that much less with that 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 many less episodes uh, that he can operate in it's kind of you know more compacted and thus more explosive so i welcome the idea that they're going slow with this because we really are moving up from you know presumably you know smaller crimes to to greater to greater and realizing that this is a network with a head we don't need to start with the head when we get the big bad in this series and it will take some time it will be worth it matt maybe deepest analysis and theorize uh segment here time to talk about jing jing airways and our uh blind drug packagers here under the um, observation of one Madame Giao connection to Matt's condition. That certainly would be interesting. I felt that it was um, seemingly initially incongruous to have all these blind people here. Um, it did appear that they were, uh, that they were perhaps, put in their condition intentionally you know there was kind of the 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 eye areas seemed to be wounded the fact that they were working in abject silence you know also spoke to the oppression of it um a direct connection i i, I mean again i personally hesitate for for the show spending too much time um with young matt um and, and i'm okay just saying this is a thing that happened and not needing to explore it um, but, but I guess time will tell the best of superhero origin stories are, um, cyclical, symmetrical really in their presentation in that, you know, something's got to make 
our hero and it is usually something from our villain. So that Matt was made blind, rendered, you know, seemingly into a victim, but turned into this heroic force and that we have blind people intentionally made so to do this. Don't discount that for a moment. Fair enough. Certainly something to keep an eye on. It wouldn't be my choice at this early stage to take the story in that direction. But uh, if that's where they're headed, I suppose uh, we'll see how how convincing it is. Is keep an eye on Matt really like a a polite way of uh, rubbing it in people's faces like so much clear hazardous material? How about this? We'll we'll stick a pin in it and keep an ear out for more evidence. Bum bum. Time to uh, look at our sonar scan here. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. And we love it when we hear from our listeners on iTunes. We truly take that feedback um, into account. And you not only help us, but you help others find out about us and uh, get the skinny on what's going on. Matt, we have a number of reviews here left since the inception of this podcast. We're going to be dribbling them out here, kind of meeting them out as we go. The first of which was left for us by Mark Amargo, a longtime listener, friend of the podcast. It is headlined, another great podcast from this dynamic duo, five stars. And it reads, always enjoy the wonderful conversations Matt and Pete have. Looking forward to this rapid fire podcast for Daredevil. Ooh, thank you, Mark. Such, such kind praise. Uh, We also have a review left for us by another friend of the podcast, Dr. Polo. The headline is great podcast from a great team. Great team is capitalized here and there are five stars and it reads, I love the podcasts from fantastic geek. They give a full breakdown of the episodes and have great theories. Keep it up. Ooh. Well, I guess now would be a wonderful time to mention that uh, we will be debuting our next episode uh, of uh, analysis for episode 102 that will be released tomorrow. So uh, certainly no delay there as we uh, keep on powering through. And Pete, now would be a great time to mention that uh, if listeners would like to help us power on through, help us support uh, support us with our uh, Bandwidth and storage costs, you can head over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. That's P A T R E O N.com slash fantastic geek. And once you're there, you'll see that we have a couple of ways to say thank you. Lawyers may work for free, Matt, but not everybody has that luxury. Gotta pay the bills. <laughs> this is true. On. <laughs> Definitely true. Pete. One of the luxuries, though, that uh, that many of our listeners have is interacting with you on the Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J, Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 5,572 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. On Gmail, on Twitter, 
and on our dot com you can find us at fantastic geek that is fantastic with a ph and pete there is one more way that people can say hello if you like us and you know not everybody does we we make our fair share of enemies but you know not unlike our heroes in hell's kitchen we're out for what's right uh you can Make that like official. If you head over to facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek, one word again with the PH, and there another way to interact with your heroes. Ooh, well said, well said. Well, with that, everybody, we will wrap things up. Again, a reminder, we'll be back uh, tomorrow with the next episode. Uh, Sunday will be uh, the drop of episode 103. And then uh, the following Friday, we will start the uh, release schedule of Fridays and Mondays for subsequent episodes. Uh, So three this weekend, and then uh, starting with episodes uh, 104 and 105, uh, the following uh, Friday and then Monday. But with that... I will say get out of here to our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. That best. Chill out with us all. I'm back. Back in the New York.